passes by this morning. Good morning. It's great to see the Placencias back in Abilene, Texas. I know they had a great trip these last couple of weeks. Um, we will be, you can be turning to page 1351 in the church Bible this morning. 1351. We'll be in Philippians 4. Real quick, um, if you would keep my mom, Carolyn, in your prayer. She's still going through some trouble and having a pretty bad infection. Uh, right now and she's not very um, responsive so she's she's in the hospital and uh, 
she's tired. So we'll bless the Lord on what he's doing and, and pray that he just uh, complete his perfect will, whatever that is. So we'll trust him in that. Uh, keep Adam uh, in your prayers, Adam Placencia. He's got his surgery on his teeth or jaw, whatever that, that's going to concern this time. Uh, and that's on the 28th, I think. Okay. And we have a friend, a uh, family friend named Joanne. I'm just going to go that far. Um, she did not ask for this. She's asked us for prayers, and I want to share that with our church family. Uh, she's got some migraine headaches. And so if you just pray for Joanne this week, that the Lord would heal her fully, uh, physically and spiritually, you know, as that's what the Lord does, we know. And Teresa, we're going to be praying for you, a new place to live. She's in the process of relocating and moving, and she needs to find the right place to be. And we'll pray that the Lord will open that door wide open for her. All right, we're going to begin in uh, Philippians 4, verse 4. Of course, this is written by Paul. <clears throat> it's an amazing verse. Go through 7. So it begins, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Wow, would that be our prayer this morning as we give him praise. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we bless you. Um, and we always want to be thankful <clears throat> when we approach you and we come into your presence. We always want to be humble because you're God and you're so good to us. And we thank you for all you've done in our lives. And Lord, I pray you continue to help us live lives that doesn't bring any attention to us, Lord Jesus, but, but lifts your name high above all names in everything that we do. And so we pray for all these this morning that we've mentioned, Lord. You know each circumstance, you knew each circumstance was coming years before it even got here. So we know your will and your timing is perfect. So we trust you in all these things. We pray for healing. But Lord, as we all, always pray for, we pray for complete healing for everyone involved, Lord, that you would not just heal physically, but as we always pray for ourselves as well, Lord, you would heal us spiritually, make us whole and complete in who you are and who your spirit leads us to be. We bless you for the day. We thank you for an awesome place to get together and give you praise and honor. And what a privilege it is to come in your presence. Lord, we bless you for your word that you're going to deliver us today. And Lord, I pray we'd be challenged to be better people this week because we've come in contact with you today. We bless you. We welcome your presence here today. And we give you all honor and glory and praise. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Sing. 
From heaven you 
came running, there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets. To a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. Praise. 
Good morning. Well, we're going to continue in the book of Romans today. So if you'll open your Bibles to page 1296, we're going to be in Romans 4. Romans 4. And um, Paul has been sharing with us week after week, helping us to understand the book of Romans, which is by and large the theme of Romans, is how God made mankind righteous. And Paul is going to continue in that place today. I want to kind of backtrack just a little bit to uh, help us to, to move into our message today all the way back to uh, verse 21 in chapter 3. It says, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe, for there is no difference. So this is the substance of what Paul has been helping us to understand, is that the righteousness of God comes through Jesus Christ to all who believe. He's going to help to unfold that a little bit more in chapter 4. So we'll begin in verse 1. It says, What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? So he's saying, What then shall we say that Abraham our father, what he learned, what he found out, what he saw in his humanly fleshly ways of seeing. So he goes on in verse 2. He says, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the godly, he, I'm sorry, justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also described the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. And he quotes David's writings, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So Paul is writing, and he starts out right here, and he says, he says we see through Abraham's life what God wants us to understand about this righteousness, what Abraham found and what God wants us to find is how God imputes righteousness. And so if we look back in verse 2, it says, For if Abraham was justified by works, he would have something to boast about, but not before God. So it says if he worked his way to righteousness, if he tried to do all the right things and he felt like he was righteous before God, uh, he still 
unrighteous before God, and he has nothing to boast about. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So in this place of believing God, I think we want to look back at this and understand a little bit about how that is. So look with me in Genesis 15. So turn back, I believe it's on page 15. Put your marker here in Romans, we'll come back there. So God has uh, come to, let's look, let's start in verse, um, let's start in verse 1 so we can understand the fullness of this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram, I'm your shield, your exceedingly great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childish and the heirs of my house is Eleazar, of Damascus. And Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. All right, so turn a couple of page, uh, one page back to chapter 12. And what you're going to be reminded of is that in chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord came to Abraham and he told him to leave where he was and to go to where God would show him and that he, in verse 2, would make him a great nation and would bless him. And he says, you know, your descendants, you're going to be blessed. You're going to have uh, families all across the earth are going to be blessed by your name. And um, he says, I'll make your name great, and I will bless you in this way, and you will multiply. And so now Abraham is saying, well, how is that going to be possible? I don't have any offsprings. I, I only have this one person that lives in my house, and I don't, I'm old, and I have no way of having children. So if you look back on verse uh, chapter 15, verse 5, it says, Then he brought him outside, and he said, Look now towards the heaven, and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. So he's saying, I know you don't understand this, but look in the sky, Abraham, and you can see all of the stars in the sky, and this is going to be how your descendants are. And I know Abraham must have been shaking his head and thinking, I don't understand this. But the most important thing happens then in verse 6. And he believed the Lord, and God, he accounted it to him for righteousness. So in what did not look like it was possible, what looked like it was impossible, what had no grounds for understanding at that moment, he chose to believe God in what God was saying. That's how righteousness is 
accounted to Abraham and to each of us is that when God gives us a promise, our faith and our belief in him counts us as righteous. So, all right, turn back with me to chapter 4 in Romans, where you have your marker on 1296. So we see this place is um, how God counted righteousness, Abraham righteous. It wasn't by anything that he did, but it rather was by this place of faith. And verse 4 again says, Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as a debt. So if you work towards something, then, you know, it's a debt that is owed you for working. And it is not by grace, it's not a gift. And so Paul is helping us to understand that this place that he's been teaching us, that faith is a gift from God and not something that you work towards to earn. But I want to talk a little bit about that very place today because he talks about in verse 2, he says, For as Abraham was justified by works, it, he would have something to boast about. And so we get this idea that... Um, gets twisted in people's minds sometimes. And I want to talk on this today a little bit about where works has a place and where works doesn't. So what Paul is telling us, and the whole Bible supports and does not contradict, it, does not contradict itself, is that righteousness cannot be earned. It is a gift, and it comes only through faith. It is a choice to believe God. Abraham had a choice. He looked at himself and he said, I'm very old and I can't uh, bring forth an offspring and my wife is barren and she can't bring forth an offspring. And God is saying, your descendants are going to be as the number of stars in the sky. And yet... Abraham chose to believe. So faith is a choice to choose to believe God. It's a free gift, but we have to choose to receive it. I think we've talked about this, and I've even had this example in our church before, is if I bring a gift, and Adam, I'm going to give you this gift, and I have it all nicely wrapped up, and, and, and you don't know for sure how that's going to be, but you choose to receive it when I say, Adam, I want to give it to you, then it now would be yours, right? But it's a choice. So if I have a gift and you don't choose to receive it, it's not yours. So the righteousness of Jesus is a gift that God wants to give each and every one of us. But we have the choice whether to receive it or not. Oftentimes people believe that they are righteous simply because Jesus died on the cross was buried and rose again. That is, that is the way God fulfills his promise. 
But until you receive the gift, it's not yours. So Jesus did die. But not everyone receives the gift of righteousness. But I want to talk today because the Lord has been talking to me all week about helping to understand this place of how the gift is received and how God Im, uh, imputes righteousness of Jesus on us that we cannot work at all for salvation. So Adam, if I give you this gift, you did nothing for it, right? You didn't work for it all. You it was just grace. It was just a gift. So you cannot work for salvation. You cannot work towards righteousness. You can never be good enough. That's what Paul's been telling us over the last few chapters. You cannot be good and be counted as righteousness. In fact, in Isaiah, it says that our righteousness is counted as, is like filthy rags. We are never good enough to be counted righteous. And what is righteousness? We talked about this a several weeks, and, and does anybody remember that righteousness is being in right standing with God? Being in right standing with him. In other words, when he looks at you and when he looks at me, what does he see? If he looks at me and I have not received the gift of Jesus, of his righteousness, then what God sees is filthy rags. And I cannot stand before him and declare my goodness. But if I receive the free gift of Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his righteous life is placed upon me. And God sees that when he sees me. Sometimes this gets a little twisted. And people begin to feel that because of that statement, you can then live however you want to live. You can do whatever you want to do. You can act however you feel like you want to act because you're in the club. People say, oh, yes, I believe in Jesus. I believe he was the son of God. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he was raised. I'm in the club, check, check. And they assume their righteousness, their right standing before God is all in order. But I think what I want to share with you today is this place that James talks about. So I want you to turn to James. It's on page 1387. 
James 2. Sometimes some people have a hard time making James and Paul all come together. I don't think that's true. That's a problem at all. And that's why I want us to look at it today and understand how this comes together and what James has to say about this place. So page 1387, James 2, we're going to start in verse 14. And James writes and starts off with a question. He says, what does it profit my brethren if someone says he has faith but does not have works? So we just said that works, you cannot work towards righteousness. You cannot do enough works to gain faith. Yet James is tying faith and works together. And I believe that Paul is going to do that as well in a couple of weeks when we study in Romans 8. So I think this will lay the groundwork for understanding the next couple of chapters as we lead into chapter 8 of Romans. James is going to help us understand that works, you cannot gain a free gift by working towards it. If it's a gift, it's a gift. But if you receive this gift, then out of it will flow the works. Out of it will flow the fruit. So James goes on to say, he says, you know, if someone says he has faith but he does not have works, can faith save him? So Paul has been telling us that you're saved by faith alone. And yet James comes here and he says, if he doesn't have works to go with the faith, can that faith really save him? And it sounds like it's contradicting each other. But I want us to look at this further. He writes in verse 15, he says, If a brother or a sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, but be warmed and filled, but you do not give him things that are needed for the body, what does it profit? He's saying if you find somebody that is hungry or needs clothes, and you just say, hey, I, you know, I pray you get filled, and I pray you uh, get food, and, and I pray you have clothes, and in Jesus' name. And James is saying, if you don't do what God has called us to do in loving each other, which fulfills the law, Then he says, you know, what does it profit? He says, the man goes away and he doesn't have anything. You see, God placed that person in your life to walk out your faith, to walk out that place of righteousness, to walk out in love, to walk out the law 
by seeing what God has placed before you and the opportunity to fulfill this place of the gift that God has given you. So moving on to verse 17, it says, Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So James is helping us to understand the fullness of what Paul is saying. And he's saying, if you have received this gift of faith and it's real, then out of this place you will see works. You will see the things that God is asking you to be obedient in, the things to, that he is laying before you, that you would rejoice in having an opportunity to take the gift he's given you and make it manifest to those around you. Verse 18 says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith with my works. It's exactly what he's saying to us. If you have faith that is real, saving faith. I asked the Lord what the title of this message was supposed to be today and he said, saving faith. He said, there's a lot of people out there that would tell you they have faith. But it's not saving faith. Because without the faith that produces the fruit, that produces the work, James is telling us that faith is dead. In other words, works is actually an opportunity for us to be able to see if our faith is real. To see if the commitment that we have made to Jesus to surrender our life has truly changed us. That we now reflect him in everything that we do, everything that we say, every part of our life. Works is what allows us to be able to understand where we truly are. It doesn't save you. You can never work enough to be righteous. But out of the gift of righteousness, true faith will manifest itself as Jesus. Let's look on at verse 19. It says, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and they tremble. So when we say, well, I believe in Jesus, I believe he was the Son of God, the demons believe that. When you say, 
I believe he died and was buried and rose again. The demons believe that. They know. And it says they even tremble. I remember one time when I was studying these places and God said, Deb, what makes you different from the demons? What makes your faith different? It's kind of a challenging question, isn't it? So if someone came to you today and say, you have faith in Jesus, and you're saying, yes, I have faith in Jesus, and they said, what makes you different from the demons? What would you say? I pray that God will answer that for us today. Verse 20 says, but you... I'm sorry, but do you want to know, O foolish man, what faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? This is a place I want you to see a little bit. I want you to go back. I want you to put your marker here. Hmm, we need lots of markers. (laughs) Put your piece of paper here. And go back to chapter 15, on page 15. And you see right here in verse 6 of chapter 15 that Abraham believed in the Lord and God counted it to him for righteousness. So he was made righteous somewhere before he was 86 years old because in chapter 16 on the page across from you, verse 15, it says that Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael. So this was even before that. He was 86 and God counted him as righteous. He did no works for it. He simply believed. Now turn the page over to verse 17. And I'm sorry, not 17. Well, let's look at 17. There's some fun things here. Let me see what I would tell you about verse 17. And... um, Well, this is about when God made covenant with him. But really where I want to go is verse 22. So go back, go over to verse 22. So about 40 years passes between the time that God counts Abraham as righteous and to chapter 22. And chapter 22 is a place that I want us to begin to read right here. It says, it, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abram. Do you see that? Verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. So God has counted him as righteous 40 years before. But God is testing him. And he said to Abram, Abraham, 
And he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. What Abraham was called to do to take his son up to the mountain and to offer him as a sacrifice before God did not make him righteous. But out of the gift of righteousness that God had given him as a free gift, be simply because he chose to completely put his faith in him, his trust in him, his belief in him, God tested him to see if that faith was real. This is what's going on, is God is testing him to see if his faith is truly real when the circumstances are difficult. Verse 3 says, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering, and arose, and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes, and saw the place afar. And Abraham said to his young men, to his young men Stay here with the donkey and the lad, and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. Right there is the fruit of Abraham's faith. It's the works that came out of Abraham's faith. So you know the rest of the story as Abraham goes up and even lays his son on the altar. Not knowing how this is going to be. And he raises his hand and he raises uh, the hand with a knife and he is right there ready to slay his son. I know he thought, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do here, but you said... You were going to multiply my descendants. And here's my son. And I'm willing to give him to you. Knowing somehow 
you will do what is right in this situation. Back when we first started studying Romans, we talked about what righteousness, what God's righteousness looks like. God's righteousness is that he does what is right. Our faith in God is, comes to a place that says, God, I believe you because you do what is right. A long time ago, a man wrote to my sister Kathy over some circumstances that she was praying about. And he said to her, he was in Nigeria, and he wrote her back and he said, Sister, God does what is best. And she shared that with me, and I have remembered it. Your faith is tested in the places that determines if you believe that God always does what is right. That God always does what is best. And you would say, well, there's a lot of bad things going on in this world. And I would say, yes, and God is not doing them. Oftentimes, God is not doing them. Let me say that better that way. Oftentimes, God is not doing them. But rather, people out of their evil hearts. But sometimes in the hard places, in the dark places, that we see the evil going on, then if you look closely, you will see God working even in the destruction. But sometimes when there are hard places going on and, and you say, God, why is this happening? Look and see, are you being tested is God allowing a difficult situation that you might could test your faith and see if your faith is real? Turn back with me to James. Because right here, Abraham with his hand raised, this is what we would say is a very difficult situation. Back on page 1387, James 2, verse 22 says, Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? Verse 21, let's read all that together. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered his son Isaac, or Isaac his son, on the altar? James is saying, do we not see this place right here? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works, faith was made perfect, complete, full. 
faith without works is dead. Has no value. But faith with works shows that faith has been made perfect, complete, full. Helping us to understand where we are. Verse 23 says, And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. You see that? It says, And the scripture was fulfilled. In other words, the place where Abraham was accounted as righteousness 40 years before this was fulfilled over here when it was made manifest that he was willing to walk in a desperate situation that he did not understand how it was going to work out. Man, I don't know about you, but I'm always like, God, I'm willing to go with you if you'll just show me how this is going to be. Ah, oh, that is not faith, Deb. And God never does. He always comes back to me and goes, I'm asking you to walk whether you understand it or not. I'm asking you to go with me in faith. And that faith is a gift of righteousness that I will impute on you of Jesus' righteousness simply because your faith of trusting me. I will give you this gift. But I need you to walk out your faith. Not for God. He knows. You see, he knew 40 years earlier that Abraham would, in fact, walk out his faith. So he knows. So I don't believe the tests are in any way for God. But the tests are for us to see where we will be, where we will stand, what our life will reflect. Let's read 23 again. It says, And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. Ah. He was called a friend of God. And you see then, it says, you, verse 24 says, You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot 
also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. So she walked out and trusted God and did what was, what was right in this place, even though it looked very scary. And then regarding Abraham, it says, For his body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. He's saying, so you see in Abraham's situation, you see in Rahab's situation, and he says, for, the, for as the body, he said, just as the body is without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. He's saying your physical body without the spirit is dead. Want to know a definition of dead? That's the definition of dead. When the spirit is not there. So faith without works is dead also. I looked up a couple of places that I think the Lord led me to to help us to understand some of these works. And one of them is in Revelation 3. It's on page 1409. This is um, to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, and Jesus is writing. In verse 8, it says, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. <clears throat> Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you because you have kept my command to per persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of which you shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. So in verse 8, it says, I know your works. And, he's, and, and these works are I, that you have kept my word and you have not defiled my name. I'm sorry, not defiled, denied. Put my glasses back on. <laughs> You've not denied my name. and uh, But he's telling us right here that understanding how to walk out these works is things that would align with his commandments, being obedient to his laws and his ways. And I see that that's exactly where James is talking about when it comes to loving on other people and what their needs might be. That is one of the, the second greatest commandments, to not only love God with all your heart, but to love others. And we are called to manifest our faith through our works by loving on others. The last scripture I want to 
leave you with is Matthew 7. It's on page 1118. Starting in verse 17, it says, Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad, a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness, you who do not keep my commandments. I believe that God was showing me that these places of works are a place of walking in alignment with his ways and obedient with his commandments. And through those places, he will give us physical places where the fruit, the works would manifest in a way that declares our faith, whether it be alive or dead. As you remember, Paul started out this study and he said, the just live by faith. I believe Paul is helping us to continue to see what that means if you are truly righteous, if God has imputed his righteousness on you. You will live by faith. I pray that this is a place that we would be challenged this morning, but, but confident about where our faith truly is. I pray that we would take the opportunity to look at our lives and see the test that God has placed before us and how we're responding. The tests are for us that we might see if our faith is alive or dead. Saving faith. Stand with me, please. In Christ. 
From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny.